Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, my friends. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you back to another episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Wow, 100,000 downloads. That's unbelievable. Guided by spirit, our team is so blessed to reveal master teachers to you. Thank you. We couldn't do this without you. Today, we have a beautiful conversation to share with you. Kia Miller. Back in June, during the Hanuman Yoga Festival in Boulder, Colorado, Kia and I dove into the nature of Kundalini Yoga, the transformation of breath, and finding spirit and Ishvara, or God, in the world before us. Find yourself and drop into this beautiful interview. Kia reveals a refreshing download for us all. Yeah, my devotion um, started to move into this realm of understanding, well, if this isn't just the reality that we perceive, if there are other dimensions to this, you know, how do I connect to them and why is that valid and why did I hear that? And, you know, so that longing really was to understand the different realms of existence. Enjoy this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Namaste, my friends, and welcome to Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec. And it is such a pleasure to introduce Miss Kia Miller onto the podcast. Thank you, Kia, for being here at the Hanuman Yoga Festival in Boulder, Colorado, sharing what you love and sharing you hmm. here on the podcast. Thank you Thank so much. You. <laughs> awesome. So, Kia, for those who maybe are unsure of who you are, could you share with us where you come from, your past, and how yoga was revealed to you? Mm. Well... I'm a British person, um, initially, um, citizen-wise. I grew up in the Falkland Islands, uh, tiny little islands off the southeast coast of Argentina. Mm. And my first love was nature and um, the outdoors, horses, animals, sheepdogs. I grew up on a 110,000-acre sheep farm. Oh, wow. And um, 
I, I just had one of those childhoods where there was just so much freedom. The, the, the place was small enough that there's no crime. Mm. And so I had a certain kind of uh, freedom in my childhood that I don't see these days. And this deep connection to nature as a very nourishing source. Um, so that was my beginning years. And then I moved to England when I was 15. And uh, that's actually when I found yoga. Mm. I uh, picked up a, a Raquel book, Raquel Welsh book on beauty. And um, at that time, it was Jane Fonda and Raquel Welsh when I was a young teenager. They were the babes <laughs> that you looked up to. And she had these uh, yoga postures in her book on beauty, and I just did them. Discipline was never an issue for me. I always seemed to naturally have it. I think having grown up on a farm and always worked, it was just natural for me when I found something I loved just to do it every day. Mm. Um, and then I moved to London um, in my sort of around 17, 18, I started to practice Ashtanga yoga in mm. London at the Life Center, which was incredible, mm. incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. And then from practicing Ashtanga yoga, who were the teachers that you had studied with? Well, in the beginning, in uh, London, there was this wonderful teacher called Godfrey Dufro, and he actually teaches a kind of tantric style of yoga, um, but Ashtanga was in there as, as part of his discipline, and then a couple of teachers who were under him. And uh, at the time, I was modeling, and I was really used to people judging me from how I looked, um, but I didn't really have, when I moved from the Falklands, I kind of lost my inner connection. Um, it's a big world mm. <laughs> when you're not in a little settlement of 30 people. Mm. Um, and so yoga was that, that coming back into myself, a reclaiming of myself, learning how to breathe. At a young age. Yeah, at a young age, learning how to uh, stretch. Mm. I'd been athletic my whole life, but I didn't know what it meant to stretch into my body. I'd done a lot of things like horse riding that create a certain tightness. Yeah. Um, so... Yoga was the greatest blessing. I just had a absolute love affair from mm. the beginning. That's mm -hmm. so inspiring to find yoga at 15. Yeah, yeah. I feel very fortunate because I can't imagine actually how I might have turned <laughs> and it out just has otherwise. Carried with you. Oh yeah. Since then, yeah. evolved. Yeah. So from Ashtanga, when did you find Kundalini? Uh, well, I moved to the United States and I kept practicing Ashtanga. I moved up to Mill Valley from Los Angeles, where I was first. And I uh, practiced with this incredible teacher um, called John Berlinski and his mm. wife, Leah. And uh, I remember a moment where John said to me, you know, Kia, I had to make this decision at some point. He said, when life started to get in the way of yoga, I made yoga my life. And that resonated so deeply with me. I was working in production at the time and I moved back to LA not that much longer afterwards. And um, I, w I was practicing again with Chuck and Maddie at Yoga Works. Wow. And they were about to leave Yoga Works. Mm. Uh, so I did their last teacher training in 2003 and uh, it was extraordinary. And shortly after that, I... Um, uh, I did the Kundalini Yoga teacher training. I'd actually started Kundalini Yoga a few years earlier because there were these two women in my life that were so radiant. I remember 
looking at them and thinking, whatever they have, I want some of it. Um, it was so attractive to me. What they had in common was Kundalini Yoga. So one woman, uh, my, my dear friend that I knew from my modeling days, Sophia, she took me to Guru Singh's class at mm. Yoga West. <laughs> and I met Guru Singh and I just thought it, he was fabulous and the practice was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I really wasn't ready for it. And I was used to a very physical practice. I remember going home from the class and thinking, well, now I have to go work out. Because <laughs> that's where I was coming yeah. from, you know. Uh, so... It, it took a little while to work its magic on me, but there was a moment when I was in a class with him when we did a navel kriya, and I remember this moment of doing stretch pose, which is one of the hardest poses in Kundalini <laughs> Yoga, um, and lying down right afterwards and just having this incredible peace descend mm. over me that I just hadn't experienced before, and my mind going quiet and sinking into the sense of myself. And after all my years of modeling where you're really trying to be whoever somebody wants you to be, so all of the different masks that you wear in that world, having this moment, a maskless moment. Wow. Um, total suspension. Yeah. And, and that feeling of a sense of who I really was beyond the masks. Beyond and, thought. Yeah beyond thought didn't recognize it as that then you know but I recognized it as a powerful moment that uh, was such a hook that um, then kundalini yoga became non-negotiable and I did the teacher training with Guru Singh mm. at Yoga West mm. and uh, my life just transformed I would say the the biggest transformation came just after the nine months of teacher training when my ways of experiencing highs in life before that were not so sustainable, you know? Mm. Um, but they offered me windows into alternate realities, you know? Mm -hmm. Whether just taking whether whatever it was, you know, some kind of psychedelic drugs or that was my way <laughs> of exploring other realms. And by the end of the nine-month teacher training, uh, I had established such a new baseline of, uh, of happiness, I guess you could say, of contentment, that there was absolutely zero desire in me anymore to explore any of the other ways that I used to use to change my, my emotional state or reality. So Kundalini um, was the bridge. Absolutely. It, I, I learned how to change my energetic state. Wow. And I learned how to sustain that energetic state for longer and longer periods of time so that my baseline happiness level just kept rising. And um, so, so that for me, well, it's just grown from there. Mm. It's just grown from there. You know, in comment, going a few chapters back, when, uh, when your teacher said... When life got in the way, mm -hmm. yoga became my life. Can mm -hmm. you comment on that and speak to life getting in the way a little bit? Because it sure does sometimes. <laughs> well, it really does. <laughs> I think what he was echoing for me was that deep longing in my soul to dedicate my whole life mm. to the practice of yoga, to understanding it, and also to teaching it. And I'd already had a desire to teach 
before he said that, but when he said that, it ignited in me this awareness that I didn't want to have to make excuses as to why I was going to yet another yoga class. Hmm. <laughs> you know, hmm. it kind of was as simple as that. And then I was looking at the trajectory that I was on and I was observing that I really wanted to be investing my time and energy into something where I was getting more valuable as I got older, as opposed to less valuable, which you see so much in our modern culture. When people get old, it's like, okay, your time's done, off you go. Whereas when you're working in wisdom traditions like this, your, your value keeps growing. Because yeah. I look at people like Guru Singh and just how much wisdom he has from his life and from his years of sadhana and practice and devotion and dedication. And he just becomes more valuable every year that continues. So that was something that inspired me as well. Mm. How do you continue to search for devotion in your life? I don't think I have to search for devotion anymore. Mm. I think it's just there. It's the first thing that I think about when I wake up in the morning. It's that um, already it's an awareness of the lower mind, you know, the lower mind of just your average thoughts that are bouncing around, concerns, worries, hopes, desires. But then right underneath that, this sense of the bigger picture of life, the, the, the grander experience of life that isn't in the superficial pleasures and desires, but it's that, that longing to merge and experience divinity. Mm. And that is here and available in every moment that we choose it. So that understanding for me has been profound because I know that in any moment of the day that I'm remembering, I can be in that connection. And so, so I don't try for it anymore. I think there was a moment where uh, my disciplined practice, my disciplined approach to practice shifted into devotion. Mm. And then it's, it's non-negotiable now, my daily practice in a different way than it was before. Now it's out of sheer love and because I understand the value of it and I can't imagine a day without it. Whereas before it was coming from a place of my teachers have told me this is good and I have to do it. And it'll help me get where I want to go, which is to greater clarity, greater awareness, ability to be neutral, uh, non-reactive, right? Yeah. All of those wonderful skills, you could mm. say, of mm. yogis. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the devotion to me now, I feel like that's part of who I am. I'm really grateful mm. to all the teachers who have helped me to get you here. Said you don't have to search for it anymore. No. Did you once, when you were younger, starting out in practice, when you were still more and more exploring yourself and what your life purpose was, your dharma, were you searching or like trying to awaken this sense of heartfelt, sheer love for life, for you and mm. who you are? You know, for me, devotion, um, I connect it to my, my spirituality. Mm. Um and so, uh, well, as you were saying that, the thing that struck me um, from my life is uh, my father passed when I was 15 or 14 and a half. And um, he spoke to me the night he died. He just said, it's okay. 
I'm okay. And that allowed me to see that there was a reality beyond what I had experienced thus far. And so um, my heart felt desire as you're expressing and my devotion um, started to move into this realm of understanding, well, if, if this isn't just the reality that we perceive if there are other dimensions to this, you know, how do I connect to them and why is that valid and why did I hear that? And, you know, so uh, that longing really was to understand the different realms of existence. And so um, I explored different ways, different spiritualist traditions, particularly in England before coming here. but. But yoga, to me, just has given me the answers that my soul has longed for mm. in understanding, you know, existence mm. and the purpose of our existence and um, how to free ourselves from suffering and mm. how to elevate our consciousness so that we can um, really express ourselves to the fullest of who we can be. Yes. So all of that, I guess my devotion has been in that um, aspect of life, understanding who we are, why we are, how we are, how we can evolve mm -hmm. and not get stuck in what so much of the world around us is stuck in right now. Yeah. So do you have any guidance or tips <clears throat> that you could offer to our listeners for in some of the days where perhaps confusion settles in or the sense of feeling stuck, almost lost, mm. what steps can we take to get out of that stuckness and mm. evolve and move forward? Well, it's Krishna, isn't it? It's, um, or rather Arjuna on the battlefield in the Bhagavad Gita. He's just stuck in absolute confusion and despondency of not knowing which step to take and we all reach that place um, at different points in our life, particularly when there's growth that needs to happen. Mm. And we're attached and we're holding on to the way things were. And we sense we need to move, but there's struggle and confusion and doubt um, in there. So uh, that's what I think about it. Um, how do we... <laughs> How do we lift ourselves out of that confusion and doubt? Well, I think first we have to have faith. Mm. Um, and what is faith really but built on our different beliefs that we have about life and what is possible? So for me, it's my faith in those moments that, um, A, this is short-lived. Like anything else in life, it's constantly changing. Okay, so I feel despondent and confused right now, but this too shall pass. And then... Applying the practices that I know work to help shift my energy. And sometimes when we're in doubt and confusion, the hardest thing to do is to do what we know we need to do. It's easier to sit on the couch and turn the TV on and eat a bag of chips <laughs> <laughs> than it is to sit on the mat and do some breath of fire um, or some other activating practice that can help to lift that veil of confusion and doubt and help us to remember who we are. Hmm. Um, I think it's natural just in the world that we live in with so much pulling us in so many different directions and everything moving at such a fast pace. It's hard to maintain that clarity of consciousness 
And so inevitably we'll fall into those moments of confusion. I think to remember we're not alone, Hmm. that all of us experience that on some level or another, and there's nothing wrong with us if we're in doubt and if we're in confusion. And that, as Yogi Bhajan so beautifully said, there's a way through every block. Mm. And if the block is there and if confusion is there, it's because there's another gateway that is available for us to walk through. And so for me, doing a practice that elevates my energy and shifts my state of mind allows me to feel the clarity um, that I need in that moment. Mm. Beautiful. So, you know, in... in response to Yogi Bahan, something that came up in my mind is your own personal sadhana. Mm. So when did, in your life, you know, going to public classes and, and, and learning from your, your teachers and your gurus, did it, it just click, oh my gosh, I need to spend time with myself in my space, mm. with my practice. Well, that's to me the beauty of Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan. The, the, the heart of the practice is your own personal sadhana. Mm. And I'd had the discipline of getting up in the morning for Ashtanga in the Sangha, (laughs) in the community practice. So that gave me the first leg up. Then I had the commitment to my teachers within the Kundalini tradition to do my personal sadhana for 40 days, 90 days, different sadhanas, different lengths of time. And so staying true to my commitment was important to me at that time, you know, just as a way as Yogi Bhajan said, to build character, and character leads to your, you know, unfolding of your destiny. Mm. But you have to break your habits in order to do that. So the sadhana, um, through the kundalini tradition, that was my first uh, disciplined approach to practice at home, Mm. without sangha, Mm. at home. Mm. And then at some point that tipped a corner into something much deeper for me. And then I started to... uh, I still do the kundalini practices as the lead-in, but now I have a, a sort of a, a longer, more still meditative approach that I take. Um, and I've come to learn, at least at this point in my life where I'm at, that the stillness is where I need to be. Yeah. And in the stillness, I get mm-hmm. to witness the really subtle dimensions of my thinking what I'm attracted to, what I am uh, have aversion to, whether when, when am I grasping for things, when am I being in my ego, just all of the different ways the mind will be operating mm. and just learning more and more to disidentify mm. with thought and recognize that underlying level of consciousness. Mm. So that to me, it's... Uh, uh, a little while ago, I went to India and I spent a month in personal sadhana and meditation. And when I came back, the big shift for me was that my ambition had shifted from a worldly ambition to an internal ambition. And the ambition is now just to keep deepening my in my own understanding and mastery of my mind. Mm. And it feels, you know, it's a compelling journey. And, you know, it's a humbling journey. And it's allowed me to have so much more compassion for myself and therefore for others. Because mm-hmm. I realize just the, 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 the human condition is to have this busy, uh, fluctuating mind. And the human condition is that we become identified with our thoughts yeah. and our limited perspective of who we are. 
Gosh, it's, you know, it's always so refreshing for me to sit across from individuals who are so deep into their personal teaching practice and, you know, your, your teaching life and to hear that of how deeply devoted you are to studentship. Mm. Oh, it mm-hmm. just, it's so mm. inspiring and beautiful. Mm. Thank you. I've been blessed by uh, examples through my teachers of that devotion and, um, uh, and, uh, just, a. um, trying to think of the word but it's um just in very giving my teachers mm-hmm. have been very giving um and i've learned through their devotion they just pour mm-hmm. the yoga out mm-hmm. that's awesome so you know mm-hmm. if you have any um words to demystify meditation on mm. well i think that there's this misnomer that um meditation is uh something that you do (laughs) so i think that's the first thing meditation is not something that we do we do concentration practices where we're learning to focus the mind on something and different meditation traditions have different uh internal or external focuses that you um stay concentrated on and that actually the state of concentration is what leads to a meditative experience um, so to think that we can just sit down and quiet our mind, it's simply not possible. <laughs> we could maybe do a Kriya and create such a shift in our energy that the mind goes silent. That, yes. But just to sit down and expect that the mind will be silent. It's just as Yogi Bhajan said, when you sit down to meditate, you have to outlast your own noise. So we have to understand the moment that we get still and quiet, all of the subconscious stuff that's roaming around is going to come more into the conscious mind. And we have to be patient Mm. in just slowly sifting out uh, all of the different levels of thinking and attachment and and ego that exist within us until, until the thinking will still be there, but we won't be reacting to it anymore. So we'll be able to maintain a state of undisturbed calm now that may just arise for a few moments and then we're back into thinking again (laughs) Mm -hmm. arise again for a few moments back into thinking again but in my experience that that just the focus alone creates such an awakening of the higher mind that we start to become more intuitive in our life so therefore our choices start to reflect the soul's yearning and so we're, we start to exist in a realm where there's just less obstacles. Mm. You know, where you feel like you step into the flow of your life and you start to have a deeper understanding of what's necessary in each and every moment as it arises mm-hmm. without having to <clears throat> manipulate life to keep providing what you think you need. It's almost so, like there's no resistance and it's just synchronicity. No resist- exactly. In everything. Exactly. So I think just creating a positive relationship with our mind is the first step of uh, creating a meditative state. Hmm. And if we can all learn to befriend our mind, we'll be much happier yes. people, right? Yes. As Yogi Bhajan said, the mind makes a uh, terrible master, but a great servant. Mm. Mm. So in the space of stillness, which... Um, can be hard to find it sometimes 
as the the vrittis, the thoughts are mm-hmm. you know coming into our field might you have some tools to our listeners to to offer that would allow them to allow us to uh be able to sit with more patience whether it's uh mantras mudras you get what i mean when i say tools oh yeah so the greatest tool that i have is well first what i do is when i first sit down is i connect into the lineage of teachers that have gone before me mm. um different masters that I resonate with, that I connect to, and then all of. So there's that moment of recognition of uh, support. Mm. That when I sit down and I start to align myself in this way, that there's all this unseen support of those who have gone before us who exist in some subtle way um, in this time and space too. So that's my first realm of business and then I take a moment and I just allow my mind to speak to me and I dialogue consciously with it so rather than sit down and start to you know have defensive operations with my thinking <laughs> I uh, I just dialogue and I just see what well what's on my mind right now mm-hmm. what is it needing to tell me and then after that I uh, I just can't start to focus on my breath um, and so that starts to internalize my senses and energy more. I do that for a while until I start to feel myself get more grounded and my awareness get more expansive. And then I bring in an internal focus and a focus um, and I just stay with that. And when I find myself getting caught in um, particularly hypnotic trains of thought, uh, I use <laughs> That's a great the, way to put it. I use the words of Swami Rama of I can, I will, I must. I can do this, I will do this, I must do this. Mm. Because it's easy in that moment just to drift off into thought. Maybe it's a compelling imaginary thought, which is all it really is, right? It's imagination or it's something of the past, something of the future. Um So am I going to allow my awareness, my attention to be off in this realm of fantasy or am I just going to come back and trust in the tradition of yoga and that which the great saints and sages and rishis have spoken about and promised that that is a result of focusing the mind and which I see happen in my own life. Um, being more loving, being more compassionate, being more patient, all these qualities that have slowly evolved in me more and more because of choosing to discipline my mind and and penetrate into the deeper states. Mm. So that's kind of some of the tools that I use in the meditative process. You know, for many years, probably 10 years, I knew that I should meditate, but... I just knew that I should. I read all about it, but I had no clue how to practice it. Um, So I think there's a big barrier to entry. Mm. And it's hard to pick up a book and learn meditation. I think it's one of those things you want to to go to somebody who can teach you a technique that you can have faith in. So therefore, you want to pick somebody to teach you that technique that you have faith in. Like that they have grown and advanced as a human being because of what they're doing. Mm. Um, And that faith in them can 
be enough at the beginning of your path to to help you to start to dig your meditation well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, it seems like this is a parallel connection to this comment of, uh, of uh, you know, being able to pick up a meditation book and trying to figure it out and to have the wisdom transmitted. It seems to me like you have incredible value for the teacher-student relationship, which mm-hmm. is cultivated in mm-hmm. this tradition. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it's vital, actually. It's vital. Um, it's vital because we do need to have that faith and and I think we have to witness somebody living from a greater state of awareness than we are. Um, and sometimes it can feel hard to find those people, right? So when we, I think if we if we just set our intention and we call on that relationship in our life, it'll show up. And sometimes those teachers show up in forms we're not expecting them. Yeah. And I think that's part of the magic of life and the magic of learning how to live more spontaneously mm-hmm. because the mind is just limited. And if we're trying to create life from the level of mind, we're missing the magic and the beauty and the spontaneity and the vastness of actually what's possible. So the, the most magical things that have happened to me were not planned, right? Mm-hmm. They're spontaneous. They gifts. So organic. Yes. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk a little about Kundalini Yoga. Yes. I have a very uh, ground level understanding of uh, Kundalini. So A, what is Kundalini energy? Well, Kundalini energy, um, one could say that all the purpose of all yoga is to raise our Kundalini. And what is Kundalini? It is the, the, the potential that we have mm. yet to awaken. Um, at some degree, there's a certain level of it moving through all of us who are working to elevate our consciousness and grow and evolve. Um, and so Kundalini yoga it, um, involves practices that very particularly work on creating and or really releasing and opening up that source of energy in mm. mm. earlier in the interview you said a word when you first stepped into it I don't even remember what the word was but it was odd weird weird you said weird it was weird <laughs> weird yeah yeah <laughs> could you speak to that and uh, you know like all these hand movements and yeah arms feeling like they're jello and and yeah. these twists and these interesting uh yeah. mudras yeah can you speak to that and why well firstly i would say that you know uh there's many schools of kundalini yoga okay um and all of them at their, uh, at their root have um, an understanding of how to work with prana, how to work with the energy within the body, how to cultivate it, stabilize it, and direct it in order to create this kind of elevated states of awareness. Kundalini yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan is known as the yoga of awareness. Mm. So this idea that actually as we cultivate and direct energy, um, we're able to open to greater states of awareness, and that really in itself is awakening kundalini. It's just um, that in the text you see this image of a snake sitting at the base of the spine, you know, coiled three and a half times, 
representing the different qualities of nature, the tendency to be inert, the tendency to activity, the tendency to balance, mm. and that the idea is that we want to uh, awaken this kind of dormant potential within each and every one of us and move it up the spine, up through the different energy centers and clear past karma, clear past conditioning until we're ultimately liberated from all of that. So that would really be the the design, if you like, of Kundalini practices. Yogi Bhajan was an absolute genius in in sharing an entire body of uh, practices that enable people who are not at such a level of mastery as he was to share them in a contained kind of safe way. Mm. And so otherwise, in order to get to the level of practice that he shared, one would have to be studying for 20, 30, 40 years. Whereas you get people like myself doing a teacher training and then having all of these incredible kriyas, these, uh, and the kriya in this sense is a set of exercises, which includes dynamic movements, as you had mentioned, uh, with specific breaths, sometimes with mantras, and each movement builds on the energy of the next, and it has a specific desired effect depending on what it is that you want to do. Do you want to balance your digestive system? Do you want to move energy from the lower center of the body up to the higher centers of the body? Do you want to expand the energy of the heart center? Do you want to send energy to your kidneys, adrenals? So there's all these different kriyas that have specific effects. And... Um, so these kriyas have been put together by somebody who was an absolute master in his understanding of how subtle energy works in the body, how to activate it, how to move it, how to create elevated state of consciousness. So those of us who teach kundalini yoga have the great fortune of these prescriptions, mm. if you like, that we can share with people. Um, and in my experience, the more I've been teaching kundalini yoga and the more I've practiced it, the deeper my understanding of how it's working and so therefore the deeper my ability to speak to the subtler levels of what's happening to help um, people to learn the language of their own subtle energy because mm. otherwise at first all we can really sense is energy and we feel it in our muscles we feel it in the outer body but we haven't yet learned how to sense the movement of just pure prana and then through the kriyas, when you move from one part of the body to the next and you feel, oh, my energy was down there and now I feel the energy and the warmth and the vibration here. And so you start to learn this kind of language of subtlety. Hmm. And then subtler than that still, you start to observe the different states your mind reaches. Otherwise, we're just led around by the mind in this <laughs> one kind of continuous state of somewhat confusion, moments of lucidity, you know? <laughs> so these practices really shift shift our, um, our awareness and they shift our ability to perceive subtlety and therefore to self-correct um, more quickly mm. in life before things kind of reach a state of chaos, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. So it's, it's really... <laughs> rewriting the story yes 
which takes a lot of practice, I find. It does. It takes a lot of practice. That's where the devotion comes in. Yes. And And the dedication and the faith and being in Sangha Mm. community. It's so important on this path of yoga to have reflections of people who are as dedicated and devoted as you are to the truth, capital T, to however that truth is manifesting. Universal truth. Exactly. Um, people in your community that can inspire you, people in your community who can help to reflect when you're out of balance and can reflect what it means to be in balance, and people who are interested um, not in what one of my friends um, calls a codependent relationship that we can have, even as friends, where we just want to say sort of appease the person with whatever's going on in their life Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um but actually to be strong for each other in community and to be able to reflect what we're seeing and so with the understanding that when we're doing it because we all want to grow and evolve empathy empathy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely empathy Mm -hmm. compassion kindness um the world that's reflected in our media is not the world that I live in. Um, I think it's not the world that many of us live in. Um, but if that's what we're witnessing and we're spending a lot of time focusing on what the media is showing us, then our reality starts to reflect more and more that of what right we're yeah. attuned to. So I think disengaging from that, connecting with conscious community... Um, finding that community in your town, um, you know, uh, going to yoga studios, finding the the studio that feels right to you, mm-hmm. um, talking to people, uh, creating community in that way of like-minded individuals who um, share some of your core values. I think that's important for us mm. and this path of growth. Mm. Beautiful. Yes. Wow. So in in the practice of sitting and breathing and uh, doing all these dynamic movements in I've I've taken just a few Kundalini classes with Sukraj here in town mm-hmm. in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Beautiful human being. Mm-hmm. And um a lot of discomfort comes up. Yeah. It's it's perfect. It's amazing. It's great. <laughs> See, the beauty about the Kundalini practices is whatever is is there is going to be is going to move. So if you've been suppressing anger, you're probably going to feel quite angry. If you've been suppressing whatever emotion you've been suppressing, mm-hmm. it's going to show up. So one person may be in bursting into tears, mm-hmm. another person may be glaring at you with just pure frustration <laughs> and anger. Someone else might be bubbling over with bliss because it just depends. Whatever is there is going to be brought to the surface and moved out. Mm-hmm. That's such a fantastic part of Kundalini Yoga. Mm. You can't stay the same if you practice it. So what I found was the first few years of practice that I had a lot of emotional reactivity in response to the practices um, and nowadays it's not that it's just a a really refining of my energy when mm. I go into a Kriya it's just feeling in and sensing where it wants me to move and the, the resistance that I used to have is not there mm. I would resist 
all kinds of things, whether I don't like the music they're playing or uh, this is stupid, why am I doing this, why am I sticking my tongue out and lolling it around, which connects to the parasympathetic nervous system, which has a whole response, you know, things like that. I had to learn to just suspend the critical part of my mind um, and just dive into the practice, Hmm. surrender to it. Um, in order to really receive the fullness of it. And that's really hard for our ego to do. Because we want to feel superior, and um, we don't want to do things that somehow compromise our image of ourself, (laughs) right? Mm. So if you're asked to do some of these weirder kriyas, (laughs) it's hard to surrender to it. Um, Or if you're asked to put your arms out and hold them out for five minutes... It's hard to do that because the mind will just start at you. Mm-hmm. This is going to hurt you. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? <laughs> this is so silly. Why didn't you go to the other class? Or, oh, you can put your arms down. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's just the whole mm. monologue. And then what happens is you start to see the ways that you are constantly um, demoting yourself. Mm. And the more you override (laughs) that mental garbage, the stronger you get in your connection to a deeper, deeper conversation within yourself, right? That's not just that superficial, reactive mind. It's our truth. Yeah, it's our truth. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So throughout all of your students who approach you where you teach here at Hanuman, if there was, you know, the universal truth in alignment with your own personal individual truth, what is it that you are hoping to transmit to your students? Um, My prayer is simply that people come into their hearts and their consciousness. Mm that the mind surrender to that higher self, um, that people can have that experience of their higher self. Uh, Yeah, if I can um, create a container for that to happen, I feel really blessed. Mm -hmm. And I think as a teacher, if I can just get out of my own way whenever I teach, then that's a blessing. In Kundalini Yoga, there's a mantra we say, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man, I'm not a person, I'm not myself, I'm a teacher. (laughs) So it's just a way of removing all the different small identities and standing in a place where you're there to serve. That's beautiful. I was about to ask you, in the space of teaching, how do you set aside ego and, and simply serve? Yeah. And that's a beautiful mantra. Isn't it beautiful? Exactly. Yeah, so that sets the stage for for us to serve, and if um, um, and if the mind starts to get in the way, I just go to my heart and I speak from my heart to the hearts of the people in the class, and that's my quick way out of mind. Can you offer examples when we're teaching where perhaps ego hmm. wants to come up hmm. and to be like, oh, whoa, well, the, the ego wants you to be clever. The ego wants you to say something clever. The ego wants you to have a certain impact on the people there, which, of course, we have zero control over how those people 
over their experience. We can create a container, we can guide them through a sequence of practices, but ultimately we don't have any control over what's going on within their individual beings. But the but the mind will want will be attached to a certain outcome and to whatever our underlying uh, unconscious motivating desire may be. I want to be loved. I want to be approved of. I want to feel significant. Whatever those things are that as a teacher may be on an unconscious level motivating us, the mind is going to be saying things to try to create a result that will reflect that unconscious desire. So I think important part of becoming a teacher is to learn what those unconscious motivating desires are so we know we can recognize them when they show up and we know how to put them to bed. Mm. It's not that we'll ever perhaps get rid of them, but we can understand how to work with them. And so if we find ourselves getting caught in the mind, and for me, if I ever teach from the mind, I'm miserable. <laughs> I'm so struggling. Exhausting. 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 Um, so just to surrender that, go to my heart and recognize that if I, if all I do is I simply lead people from one posture to the next, then I've done my job. If I can just surrender and be very humble in that moment, then, then, uh, then I'm being a teacher. But if I'm trying to manipulate a result, I'm in my ego and I'm in my mind. So dropping to my heart, speaking to the hearts of those who are there and not needing to say anything at all mm. um, in particular. I find that's where the magic really happens. If I allow myself that kind of space, um, then, then, uh, then the creative force speaks through you. That's a surrender, like a trustful surrender. And if that day nothing clever comes out of your mouth, great, <laughs> right? Yeah. And maybe that day... All people needed was simple, clear instruction and lots of space and time to have their own process. But the mind will want to Im implement something on top of that. And so, uh, yeah, surrender. It's a big one. Mm, thank you for that gift. <laughs> so, Kia, if you have one last golden nugget of wisdom to offer to our listeners as they carry forward on their path of being human as a yogi, as a practitioner, as a teacher, what would, uh, what would the golden nugget of wisdom be from Kia Miller? Hmm. Um, I trust in the energy of love. Mm. Um, and, and, and have a practice that you love, mm. that you're motivated to, to attend to every day. And attend to that inner sacred space on a daily basis, and then you will be able to, uh, you'll be able to uh, shift people's energy just from having attended to your own practice, mm -hmm. right? Yogi Bhajan used to say, "If your presence doesn't work for you, nothing will." Wow. So if you can do something on a daily basis that elevates you and helps you become more present and more authentically you, 
then just you doing that gives everybody you come in contact with permission to do the same thing. Mm. Wow. Well, Kia, thank you so much. Thank the you. conversation with you was so effortless because it's so clear how passionate you are for what you are practicing and what you're teaching. It's so clear that you love life. Yes, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. What a gift you are giving so many. Mm. Mm. Blessings. Namaste. Mm. Namaste. My friends, thank you so much for listening in onto this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you want to share anything at all with us, you can email us at namaste at yogarevealed.com. We would love to communicate with you and hear how the interviews have been influencing your life. Let us know what you want to learn about from these master teachers and we'll do our best to seek them out. If you feel called to seek out and practice with Kia Miller, you can find out where she's at across the globe by visiting her website at kiamiller.com. We've got some amazing interviews coming your way and you can stay on top of them and more by signing up for our newsletter at yogarevealed.com. This is Alec Vishal Rubin bowing from my heart to yours. Until next time, namaste. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.